Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We are tonight's entertainment. Is that good? Yes, sir! I know who I am! Did IQs just drop shot? I could have been. I have planned. I like this All shit. It is a horse Dance off, bro. It is your Welcome to the Atlantic Screen Connection Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Atlantic Screen Connection with Jason and Lee. I've had a busy week so far. How are you doing, Lee? I am shattered. Let's get this over with. <laughs> shattered? Oh, you're tired too? Yeah, I didn't have a good night's sleep either. <laughs> <laughs> but it's okay. The show's more important. We're famous now. Yeah. The first episode's, you know, we're kind of on a two-week ahead of ourselves schedule. So, uh, yeah. this is the first week we are, we're finally aware of how famous we are. It's been great. <laughs> uh, it's been, but it's, it has been great. I want to thank everyone who tuned in for the first episode. Oh, we got o- over fifty plays in our first week. Was colossal. I wasn't expecting that at all. at all. I'm hoping we can get half that for our, our Suicide Squad episode that's up. And by the time you guys hear this one, Hail Caesar will be out as well. So we're hoping that you guys are going to enjoy that. So the normal format is as we usually do. We're going to be talking about some of the trailers we saw this week. We're going to be talking about also some of the movies we watched this week and whether we recommend them or not. And we're going to be doing our feature film review of John Carney's Sing Street. Woo-hoo. You excited about that, Lee? Oh, absolutely, man. Uh, can't wait. I, I, I don't even know how to start discussing it. I just love it too much. <laughs> oh yeah, me too. I'm I'm kind of a little bit on the same, you know, wavelength or on the same boat, I should say, because uh, in the same uh, boat, uh, because I'm like, all right, well, how do we start that conversation? It'll be interesting. Yeah. So you might actually get a couple of stutterers today, and we'll see how <laughs> that goes. So let's launch into this and talk about trailers. What trailers did you see this week, Lee? Uh, I saw three trailers this week, Jason. Three. Uh... Middling trailers, I thought, but we'll get to that. Uh, the first <laughs> one I seen was, uh, Mr. Church. So this is, um, as far as I can grasp, it's the story of uh, a family that have to, they invite like a cook played by Eddie Murphy in to live with this family. Britt Robertson's the daughter. And somebody dies. I don't know. It was all like a blur of Oscar Schmaltz. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It kind of blurred in my mind. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I saw the trailer too. Uh, it is about a cook. It's about a cook that helps a young woman through uh, the hard times uh, to dealing with her dying mother. So the That's mother right. can't cook because she's dying of something. And the cook, uh, who is supposedly, I think, hired for a short period of time, ends up being the young woman's caretaker. Yeah. And so he becomes kind of this guardian angel, the guy that kind of looks after this young girl after her mother passes away. It looks like a touching story. But as you said, it looks like... Oscar Schmaltz. It's uh, one of those Oscar moments where we're going to have a nomination, obviously, for um, uh, Eddie, Murphy. Eddie Murphy. Yeah, something like uh, Mickey Rourke for The Wrestler or even Sylvester Stallone last year for Creed. But, I mean, it looks all right. I mean, uh, I've yet to see Eddie Murphy come back from whatever the hell he was doing uh, in recent times. So maybe it'll be fun to see him try his turn at doing something dramatic and well for a change yeah I'd, I'd say i'd say in the trailer he does come across like he is giving it a fair shot i i, I get from the the tone of it all it just seems a little melodramatic for me i that's the kind of film i i actively my mind actively forgets as you could tell from my uh thrilling recount of the of the uh the trailer <laughs> itself uh yeah 
I I'm, I can't say I'm looking forward to it, but I, I you know I hope it surprises me. I hope that uh, it's got more than just a little generic. Uh, this guy changed my life. Somber Mary Poppins vibe going. <laughs> oh wow, you just really put your finger on that one. Yeah, I I guess I hadn't seen it that way, but yeah, I guess you're kind of right. It's got a nanny Mc, nanny yeah. McPhee vibe going <laughs> for adults. Nanny McPhee for adults. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's, 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 we've we've been privy to a lot of ugly Eddie Murphy in recent times. Maybe this is him becoming pretty again. It reminds me a lot of like the kind of uh, overly sentimental film Robin Williams would have done. And I'm not just saying that because he did uh, Miss Doubtfire. There's yeah. a lot of films where he kind of steps into the role of this. This guy who looks after families or this guy who kind of changes somebody's life by being, you know, just around. Uh, he kept falling into that and a lot of them were misses. And uh, yeah. it feels like Eddie Murphy's channeling that. And uh, it just it has never won me over. I don't think it will win me over this time. But I'm up for being surprised. Yeah, I'm up for being <laughs> surprised as well. I mean, I haven't, like I said, I haven't seen Eddie Murphy in anything really good recently. I've kind of ignored him to tell you the truth. But I, uh, it was fun to see him. Yeah. I think that's what I took away from the trailer. I was like, oh, well, you know what? I, it's good to see yeah, him. Definitely. I felt comforting. It, felt it was. Comforting. It was great. To see. When I when I realized it starred Eddie Murphy, and then I seen him in the trailer, I was like, "Oh my god! I haven't seen Eddie Murphy since Tower Heist. Tower Heist is a terrible film." <laughs> Didn't even bother. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so that's it. So that was Mr. Church starring Eddie Murphy. And so if you guys want to go check it out, the trailer, you're welcome to. Any other trailers, Lee? Yeah, I've seen um, IT, a, uh, a Pierce Brosnan, oh, right. uh, I don't know, office thriller. <laughs> <laughs> Does it look any good? Or? Uh, oh, man, it, it looks terrible. <laughs> um, and to be fair... I kind of hope it's it's so bad it's good. It kind of looks just cheap enough to be really bad. And the general story, as far as I could tell, was that Pierce Brosnan's a, a rich guy working at an IT firm. And uh, I don't know, they specialize in, I don't know, making money. And uh, <laughs> they hire an IT guy. And uh, the IT guy basically takes the entire office for hostage and starts robbing them from the inside. Okay. Uh and it looks, I don't know, I guess the best comparison is a bit like, um, Saw? You know, everybody gets locked in this building, and uh has to try and stop this one mastermind behind the curtain, but the mastermind's like this IT nerd who's kind of just fucking around with the computers to scare people. It looked like, uh, uh it looked terrible. <laughs> it really looked bad. <laughs> so... Oh, well, Pierce Brosnan, I mean, I... Whatever. I, I've <laughs> yeah. never really been like. I remember my mom. My mom really loves the movie Mamma Mia, and my daughters oh, love the no. movie Mamma Mia. And Pierce Brosnan's in Mamma Mia, and I hate Mamma Mia. I don't. But the, one of the things. I mean, I was forced to watch it. You know, Clockwork yeah. Orange style. They put the metal tangs in my eyes and I was <laughs> strapped down and all that shit. And I got physically angry at the movie. Oh uh, yeah. I, and one of the reasons was Pierce Brosnan, because at one point, Meryl Streep is performing uh, this song on some sort of rock near the water, and Pierce Brosnan's next to her, and yep. she's just, like, sing-yelling at him, making him feel bad. And the only re- reaction Pierce Brosnan has is to slowly touch his face occasionally and yeah, like, yeah. move his head. <laughs> and I was like, you're like a smoke sp- satisfaction. <laughs> Not even. It's more like I'm thinking about what you're saying. But oh, can no. you be more obvious? Anyway, moving on, because, yeah, bleh. So, IT, would you recommend watching the trailer for IT? <laughs> <laughs> I recommend watching the trailer to IT. I think people need to see it. 
so that they don't see the film. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it's the best two minutes invested in yeah, your life yeah, so that you, you can you'll save, save yourself an hour. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Very cool. Uh, do you want to you want to go for something you've seen? Uh, oh, I saw a trailer. Yeah, I saw the trailer for Lion. And it's uh, based on a true story. Uh, stars Dev Patel, uh, Rooney Mara, Nicole Kidman. And uh, it's about a boy who was abandoned somewhere in Calcutta. And he gets adopted by this Australian family uh, at the age of five. And, uh, I mean, 30 years later, or at the age of 30, I don't remember exactly if it's a 25 years later. So, so if my math... <laughs> We're well, really good at recounting math, trailers If today. my math serves me right, <laughs> five plus 25 is 30. So at the age of 30... He uh, decides to find out what really happened on that day. I mean, like about his brother, his mother. Were they? Yeah. Did they abandon him? Did was he forgotten? And they they've been looking for him for the last twenty five years or anything like that. So it looks like another Oscar bait movie. And the last one I saw was uh, Hell or High Water. Uh, which is actually out here in Canada right now. Yeah. And uh, it's with Chris Pine, Ben Foster, and Jeff Bridges. So that sounds good. It's from the director mm-hmm. of Startup. I think uh, Matty Neggs, who you were on the show of last week. Yeah, he talked to me about it. He, yeah. did, uh, he did He did a really good review about it. Yeah, he loved it. He really loved uh, it. How, how was the trailer? I haven't seen anything of the actual film to itself. To tell you the truth, the trailer looks really good. The images are stunning. It looks like a neo-Western. Yeah. Incredibly well shot. Mm. That's kind of what I got from it. They don't give much away in terms of what the synopsis might be there seems to be a robbery there seems to be cops there seems to be an investigation and all that somewhat smells like violence in the end yeah so it looks like it's going to be a slow burn but a really good one so i'm actually looking forward to it and you're right negs really did a great job in his review and so based on that i was like well shit that looks good and it's from the writer of uh, Sicario as well. Oh, yeah, so, shit, that's right. I was like, well, that looks kind of interesting. So Hell or High Water is definitely going to be on my list. And once it gets here to, to Quebec City, I'll probably want to go check that out if there, if it's actually playing in English, obviously. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Me too, man. I, I definitely, I think it's a couple of weeks before it's released here. But uh, I'll see it when I see it. <laughs> Excellent. All right, so I guess that sums up trailers for this week, and we're going to leave you with a sound of one for a few minutes. We'll be right back. You know, the bank loan, just enough to keep your mama poor. Thought they could swipe her land. It's a big bank. It's too big. That's what she said. Now they can foreclose on Friday. So come hell or high water, get the money to the bank on Thursday. And then you are free and clear. Little brother, go get that money. Good morning, folks. Open the drawers. You got a gun on you, old man? You're damn right I got a gun on me. Y'all gonna steal my gun, too? We ain't steal from you, we steal from the bank. You hear about these bank robberies? You may get to have some fun before they send you off to the rocking chair yet. I may have one hunt left in me. <laughs> Mama, in that bit a while? Three months. Bank breathing down her neck. Everybody get on the ground! Y'all been here for a while? Long enough to watch the bank getting robbed. has been robbing me for 30 years. You managed to stay out of prison for a year. It's been difficult. Tell us stand up! These boys know exactly what they're doing. They're trying to raise a certain amount. That's my guess. Let's go! Good! Good! Toby, it's a good thing you're done. More down it. 
every step of the way. You want a little advice? Go see your boys tomorrow. You know, you talk like we ain't gonna get away with this. I've never met nobody got away with anything, ever. And why in the hell did you agree to do it? Because you asked, little brother. Mama, take this badge off of me. I think I got these boys figured. He's got no record. He's never been arrested. He don't fit the bill, Marcus. You may be hearing a lot of things about me and your uncle. It's getting dark, too dark to see. Whatever I hear, I won't believe. No, you believe it. I did all of it. Love you, Toby. Mean it. Love you, too. Hope you enjoyed that. Um, I'm sure it was fine. Anyway, welcome back. So we're going to talk about some of the films that we watched this week. And we're going to start with Jason. Going to spin things around for once. Jason, what did you see this week? All right, I'm going to start this with a little bit of... Um, I enjoy the guys at Red Letter Media. So sometimes I'll just go rewatch Half in the Bag. But mm-hmm. occasionally I'll realize that I haven't watched a couple of them. And I fell upon one this week that I hadn't seen yet. And it was the uh, um, Half in the Bag episode on Jack and Jill that was You're separated right. into two, the, Jack, the Adam Sandler vehicle. And I probably was interested in it because my daughters kind of liked Happy Gilmore and they asked, can we watch another one of those movies? Mm-hmm. And so I said, sure, let's watch Mr. Deeds. And so I ended up watching Mr. Deeds with the kids. I'm not a huge Adam Sandler fan. I do own Happy Gilmore because it's part of my youth. And I was like, all right, fine. Yeah. So I watched Mr. Deeds, but then after that, I decided to watch uh, the Half in the Bag episode because Adam Sandler, I had him on the brain. <laughs> and anybody who hasn't seen the Red Letter Media video on uh, Jack and Jill, please do so because it awoke something in me that I I knew there was something wrong. I knew I when I watched an Adam Sandler movie, something was wrong. There was a feeling I had inside and the guys, Mike and Jay, really put their finger on it. And from now on, I'm probably just going to avoid Adam Sandler movies altogether. Jesus. <laughs> Except for Punch Drunk Love because, I mean, that's Paul Thomas Anderson and I, I love him very much. But yeah, yeah so they basically <laughs> kind of pick apart Jack and Jill the movie as this gigantic scam to make money where it's mm. just product placement, advertising in the movie. There's no real plot. Nothing really happens. And it costs $79 million to make. And it yeah. just turns out as the guys from Red Letter Media ex- uh, explain that they, they can't prove any of this, but they probably feel that that's what has gone down. And I feel exactly the same after having watched their episode because I yeah. went on to watch Anger Management after that. And I couldn't not see what they were talking about. It was impressive. And I was like, wow, he is just spoon feeding us advertising uh there's no real plot to any of this it's just a cash mm-hmm. grab for him and all of his friends there's no real uh plot to any of his movies and it's kind of sad to see because i mean this guy 
is very very famous now and to see him kind of just ripping a bunch of people off it hurts a little bit it's a bit of a shame because i love movies and this is not filmmaking it's shit so that kind of hurt so anyway anybody who's watching out there they're 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 the equivalent of when you open a comic book and uh you know every second page is an advert and you just kind of feel like the medium is you understand that the medium is trying to support itself sometimes but other times when you got like a four or five page you know mini story about some fucking chocolate bar or soft drink you just kind of go yeah they're kind of poisoning people they're kind of poisoning people just to keep afloat or to make a profit and that's fucked up yeah and to me that means like the medium's a little bit dead here and that kind of makes me sad <laughs> the, oh, uh, it was a bit weird yeah yeah the, the thing with adam sandler is i he was a little before my generation of growing up so i, I kind of missed the big wave so by the time the uh most of his films were coming out in the cinema and i was at that cinema going age they were already pretty presumed to be shit so right. <laughs> or even was making like rom-coms back to back and uh there's just absolutely no reason for me to be invested at all so it would take a lot at this point for me to go back and watch what he is famous for right because i would have to unlearn the person i know that is at the heart of it so i kind of already came from that sort of background and it feels like you've just lost that the innocence because you used to have this sort of idea that this is a guy who you know gives a shit and he doesn't <laughs> no he doesn't at all I mean even when he did it, he didn't you know and that's what's sad because when uh, like I said Happy Gilmore is alright but anyway what I'm going to do however is I'm going to include the Red Letter Media video in the links uh, that we're going to provide with the show because I really think that it's necessary watching sometimes these yeah. guys come up with these interesting theories and I think that in terms of film criticism they're definitely a force to be reckoned with and so I'll I'll put the link on that. I think that's a good idea. Definitely. Yeah. And then on to pure cinema. <laughs> I watched the German <laughs> film. I watched the German film called Look Who's Back. It's available on Netflix right now. And talk about oh history, uh, historical revisionism. <laughs> this was amazing. It's about Adolf Hitler who wakes up in present day Germany. You don't know how, like there's no bunker around. He's just covered in dirt. He wakes up. <laughs> And he ends up kind of walking around and people kind of think he's a street performer. But this is the real Adolf Hitler. And like in his mind, he's the real Adolf Hitler. And they found a guy that looks like him. And he ends up ends up becoming a stand up comic. I won't go too far in terms of the plot because I want people to watch it. But holy shit, did Tarantino start something with that movie, Inglorious Bastards, because... That was historical revisionism. This one's taking it to the next step where Hitler, not only is he uh, a comedian, but he becomes the butt of a joke in so many of these instances. (laughs) So if anybody, I mean, if you're not overly offended by that kind of thing where like Hitler doesn't necessarily offend you that much that you understand the implications of maybe turning this person into someone who's funny, Mm. uh, I get it. Stay away from it. But for someone who wants to kind of see something strange yet amusing look who's back is probably something you might be looking for and it's available on netflix so Uh, i would recommend it i will be honest this sounds amazing i cannot wait to watch it (laughs) yeah it was it was a strange one but i had a lot of fun probably looking forward to watching it again because it is in german with english subtitles so i mean there's a few parts that you're trying to piece together and trying to watch the action and read at the same time so uh, and plus it was late at night when i watched it but it, it kept me glued to the to the to the screen so i was like yeah bring it on man but i'll definitely rewatch it so that i can really uh, get every little nuance in terms of performance and and how that guy was actually portraying it i'm sorry i don't have a director for you or an actor uh 
I'm still living in that bubble that they actually used Hitler. So, which sounds <laughs> stupid, I know. Which sounds definitely stupid, I know. But it was really that good of a performance. It was funny. Great. Oh man, I cannot wait for that one. Okay, I've, I've seen a couple of films. Uh, well, no, I've seen I've seen two films, and I watched the first episode of an ongoing series. And I will start with uh one of the films. It's going to be City Slickers. I uh I, re- oh. I rewatched City Slickers for the first time since I was probably I don't know twelve something like that. Uh, it had been a long time since I'd seen it, and my, my friend Andy, we went, we sat down and watched it. And uh, does it hold up? That's a hard one to call. Away, really? <laughs> Are you being sarcastic with me, man? Just a little. Oh boy, I like Billy Crystal. He's he's never offended me in any way. He always makes for a good, quirky leading man. And uh, and it was just fun to kind of take a trip back in time where comedy films were just a little more naive and a little simpler. It was so based on the machismo on these leading men and their stupid white male lives. The messages are all over the place, very set of their time. But I, I still think it's it was fine. I laughed a bit through it, uh, and I laughed most from the idea that. Jack Palance got... I laughed so much at the idea that Jack Palance got an Oscar for his performance. He's good as Curly. He's in it for, like, a total of, like, running screen time, if you put his clips together, like, nine minutes. And in those nine minutes, he kind of looks to the camera a lot, does a weird, grimacey smile, and then walks away. (laughs) Yeah. That's the entire performance. He got an Oscar. <laughs> it must have been like a lifetime achievement award. Give him a break. He did a one-handed know, push-up I do, on I stage. Get <laughs> I get it. You know, it's like it's one of those things where you're like somebody is so renowned for their hard dedication to to Hollywood that Hollywood inevitably gives back. Yeah, like, exactly. Like they did with they three, three give, six mafia. Uh, but did they have to give back for fucking curly? Literally like fifteen minutes overall, and he just sort of tells him, Stop being such a pussy. And <laughs> that's it. You know? That's yeah. basically his role. And then he dies. Spoiler. <laughs> like, you know, halfway into the film. And then the the remaining half is he, he's completely gone. Yeah. And the story just like fucking struggles on from there. Ugh. Yeah, I, I probably won't watch City Slickers again, but I mean, it was good. If you've never seen it, I would recommend it, because it is, I don't know, it is very of its time, but it is It is a good, general, upbeat movie. It's not too taxing or anything. Yeah. I, uh, I I got sentimental attachment to it, just just for, for two reasons, because I like Daniel Stern. I've always thought he was a really funny guy. Daniel Stern is great. In and it. I... Really love Bruno Kirby. Bruno Kirby played the young Clemenza in Godfather Part Two. Oh yes! And so whenever oh yeah, he was, he was ama- amazing, and he died so young. And seeing him in City Slickers was like, oh my god, I can't believe Clemenza's there. To me, he'll always be the young Clemenza. Yeah, he definitely definitely steals the show. I mean, like the the talent in it. I mean, the three leading men are good. It's kind of the script that fails. Them. Oh yeah, definitely. It's undeniable that these guys are all how they manage to make these three completely different leading men coexist is impressive. Yeah. Uh, the story of which they choose to tell with these leading men is such a boring, such a white male fantasy. Oh, but yeah, but that's ingrained in American culture, though, man, and I'm not shitting on the Americans listening to this right now, but it's typically Emersonian in the sense that in order to reclaim, like, some sort of manhood or become a man and 
reclaim some sort of identity, the only way that you can do that is by going back into nature. Yeah, yeah. And so it's it's kind of a, a classic American trope to see them. And definitely. what better than to use it with the old West type thing, you know? So yeah, yeah. I, I, I get it. I get it. No, I definitely get it. I just I think that that kind of thing. If people watch it and they actually absorb that information as like a moral. That oh, is yeah. damaging. So <laughs> look at it as, as a product of its time. Laugh when it's funny. Don't laugh when it's not. And then yeah. probably never watch it again. There you go. <laughs> yeah. It's great product placement for Ben and Jerry's, though. What the fuck was that? Exactly. <laughs> How do you know? And he's like, he just knows. And you're like... I don't get it. I never got it. It's just... It, just, it was just random. Yeah. You can't just say random shit yeah. and tend it's... A, Ah, fuck that. Rum, yeah, rum raisin. Really? Uh, okay. <laughs> it's just a word. They're just words. Exactly. Oh, <laughs> uh, all right. Fuck that scene. Anyway, and we're shitting on a lot of films right now. <laughs> uh, no, well, I'll, I'll turn it around. I'll not shit on a film. I'll, I'll talk about The Little Prince a little bit. I don't want to talk oh, about it too much. Yeah. All right. Uh, I'm gonna zone out if you don't mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> For those uninitiated, Jason has, has grown up in a world where the little prince is all anybody ever talks about. So uh, he's he's a little jaded. He has he refuses to watch it on the basis that he's done with it. So <laughs> there's a school down the road like named after the author, and there's a youth center down the other road named after the author. And I'm just like, all right, fine, can we get over it? But anyway, <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm pretty I'm, sure I'm it's excellent. <laughs> so. This was news yeah, to me. <laughs> Little Prince is a uh, animated CG slash stop motion animation featuring uh, Jeff Bridges and Amy Adams and uh, a couple other great choices in casting. And it's just the story of a little girl who lives in a particularly fine comb world, uh, but she doesn't have any childhood imagination or creativity. And she meets this next door neighbor who's this crazy old aviator guy. And uh, he tells her the story of the little prince. And it's just this, little, this, this nice little fairy tale. And the adventure expands from there. And uh, it was fine. I, I really, I, I did enjoy it. I, uh, it, it kind of, it called back to me a couple of films like uh, James and the Giant Peach kind of territory. Anyway, for kids, it's a creepy film. For adults, it's a creepy film. <laughs> there's a lot, there's a lot in there that's, uh, it's actually probably more for adults because there's a lot that adults can gain about raising children from it that children won't gain about being children from. Uh, but, uh, it's a little heavy handed and a little hard to follow at times, but it's still, it's still a nice fantasy and it's interesting and I would generally recommend it. And I reviewed it and all you can see it on the website and so on. So that's a little prince. <laughs> Very cool. Anything else? I, uh, I got to see a Wednesday TV show. So next week, I'm not going to be able to talk about it, but I'm going to talk about it every week from this week on for the next like 12 oh, weeks. God damn it. All right. Talk to me about your goddamn yeah, cakes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Great British Bake Off is, is a wonderful feel good program about making cakes. It is fun and it is lovely. And it's got nice music, and it's very summery, and there's not really anything of any real substance to talk about. I just, I just wanted to get it out there. It's, a, it's a great show. I'm gonna, I'm just gonna throw a casual mention each week, not next episode, but the episode after. Look out for the next, <laughs> the next reference to Big Off, and I'll say, oh yeah, that guy went. What a, what a bummer. <laughs> I love that the fact that you'd have that recurring thing. I'll talk about uh, how I didn't watch Mr. Robot. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Another week goes by. All right, so we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back and review Sing Street. Stay tuned. Your mother and I really are under a lot of pressure at the moment. We had a look at our accounts, and... We're taking you out of school. We're not taking you out of school. We're transferring you. You'll be new then. What's your name? Connor Lawler. Shut up! We have a black shoe policy here, Mr. Lawler. They're brand. They're quite sensible. 
and not black. Who knows what this new prison will do for you? This is your time. You see, she's beautiful. How come you're not in school? I'm a model. Cool. Do you want to be in a video for my band? See, if you're in a band, sing me a song. Take on me. We need to form a band. What? Connor's putting a band together. Oh, good Jesus. You'd play every instrument on mankind. Probably. Show sure. It's all about the girl, isn't it? What's this? Homework. Have school in the morning. This is school. Rock and roll is a risk. You risk being ridiculed. Jesus, what are you all wearing? Yeah, we're just working that out. That's great fun. Yeah, it's really fun. Have you kissed her yet? She's got a boyfriend. Pulled off in his car, music blaring. What was he listening to? Genesis. No woman can truly love a man who listens to Phil Collins. So the guy with the car. It's complicated. As long as you're happy. You are truly on a hero's journey. Are you up to that? I think she's just an amazing human being. Big, big Connor. End of term disco at the school hall. I say we ask if we can play there. It's our first gig. It's gonna be amazing. I'll try and come. You have to come. Not exactly the Beatles, is it? I actually love this band. <laughs> <laughs>so welcome back i hope you enjoyed the little trailer that we included in there uh, we're going to be talking about sing street now and sing street basically the premise of it is about a young boy who was growing up in dublin in the 1980s he starts a band to impress a girl it's as simple as that it was directed by john carney so the guy who directed uh, once and also begin again two really good movies if you guys haven't seen those please go see that and um, it stars ferdia walsh pilo uh, Maria Doyle Kennedy, who is also from uh, Downton Abbey fame. Aidan Gillen, who's Littlefinger from Game of Thrones. Uh, also Lucy Boynton, a wonderful actress uh, from this movie. I hadn't seen her before as well. Mark McKenna, who plays Eamon, who's fantastic in the picture. And my personal favorite actor from this movie, Jack Rayner, who plays Brendan, Connor's brother. So, Lee, I'm going to let you start this off. I uh, want to know how you felt about the movie. Uh, I'm going to struggle throughout this discussion to keep it critical and interesting because I feel like much of the points I try to raise are me trying to comprehend how just simply overjoyed I am with this movie. I absolutely loved it. It, it hooked me within like 20 seconds. Uh, I, I gush all over this film and I am going to struggle to keep a uh, professional tone when discussing it but i do i want to find out how you felt about it jason i feel exactly the same uh this is probably uh the second best film i've seen this year i'll keep midnight special at the top spot but uh sing street is right on its heels i absolutely loved this movie from beginning to end i can't say anything wrong about it it was amazing i remember talking to you about it 
and we wanted to review the movie because it had gotten uh, a lot of great reviews, but we hadn't necessarily watched it yet. And plus, it's from your neck of the woods. Usually, there's a lot of good films that come out of there. And um, so I asked my girlfriend, uh, do you mind watching this with me tonight? And uh, we sat down, we watched it, we loved it. She fell in love with the movie. I think it's going to be her favorite film this year. And we essentially went to bed. And I'm not lying. She fell asleep and I put it on again. I watched it twice in a row. <laughs> Amazing, man. Yeah. That's some commitment. Oh, yeah, but it was just beautiful. I was, loved this movie. I, I'm just so happy. I walked away with this great sensation of just how uh, how much I enjoyed it. That then I found out you enjoyed it as well. I was just, oh, thank God I'm not crazy. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, just, definitely just that, not. That, because so much of it cuts so close to home, uh, lots of it just screams from things I've seen growing up and screamed things that I know my dad's experienced and has described to me. I just immediately assumed, I love this because a lot of it draws on things I recognize, uh, and, and does it well. And I, and I'm just going to be giving a biased review because it does so well capturing a lot of things I like. Uh, <laughs> and I immediately felt right. nobody else is going to enjoy this. And uh, that, and uh, I'm going to be a crazy person who's going to say Sing Street's going to be the be- one of the best films of the year. And I'm going to be alone. And then it turns out you liked it. You watched it twice in one night. I am relieved. <laughs> Just for some of the listeners out there, uh, the reason why it hits home to Lee, because Lee is actually from Ireland. I'm from Quebec City. We're recording this overseas. That's why it's called the Atlantic Screen Connection. And so, that's <laughs> yeah, that's why I just wanted to make sure that everyone knew that where you were coming yeah, from. Yeah, that's, that's a good thing. I, I, we, don't, we never really explicitly said it on the show. Yeah. So, yeah, take us through a couple of the points that you were talking about this idea that it hits a little bit close to home. Is there something specific? I mean, about the – I remember we were talking a little bit before the show. You mentioned that uh, 1980s, they, they capture the feel of what it was like around that time. Oh, my God. They capture the feel of what it's – it's what, it looks exactly like it does now. It's the exact same fucking place. <laughs> okay, okay. I don't want to go on all day about the fucking anecdotal shit, but some things that immediately jumped out to me. Uh, the the school, for one, is is a huge accomplishment in, in film because uh, it so perfectly captures Christian brother school. I mean, like, I personally, I didn't go to a Christian brother school. I went to a, a, another kind of catholic irish school uh you know and i hated it i hated the whole experience and it was a pretty well-to-do catholic school as far as you know the options were where i live um so like i hated it i thought it was rough and up the road there's christian brother school it's rougher still and my dad went to that one in the 80s and he, he just tells me about how just fucking terrible <laughs> that kind of, I mean like he got his friends and his family you know they all went there and they oh man this, the stories they tell about the teachers beating the shit out of you and uh, the kids beating the shit out of each other they got that down so so well and it's horrifying to watch and they play it kind of for laughs kind of for horror yeah uh, it's, it gets the tone down perfectly and it is scary close to life <laughs> that's just one thing I mean other things like uh, me and my brother, we've been in bands our entire teenage years. It felt exactly like that, except in, based in the 80s, you know, where you get your influence. Uh, forming a band with your friends from school. Uh, I did that a couple of times then. And, uh, you know, the experience of 
bumping into people who turned out to play things and then asking them to join your band and then just play, starting off playing shitty covers of things and then moving up to playing shitty originals based on like the sound of that day. Right. I went through entirely that section of band progress and it's so, uh, it, it gets so in the nose about how it becomes a part of your identity and of how you find comfort in, in that sort of sense of finding something you all connect with. Right. That you can't really explain. In a time when you're at your most fragile and your most, def- and you're, you're, you're most like, attempting to develop, uh, you, you try to find something that kind of guides you through it all. And music was a huge thing for me. It was a huge thing for my friends. And, it, uh, that, uh, just the people, the, the characters in this, I know these people. I swear to God, I've seen them. I have, I've met them. I know them by name. The fucking, the kid Avon, the kid who plays all the instruments, he's like my best friend. Yeah. The, the, the kids who just jump into the band, who kind of like hang around the street and stuff like that. I know those guys. I've definitely fucking met them and all. And you know, uh, you know, the kind of PR guy who does all the fucking handshaking. I know that, I know like six of those guys. How fucking in your face they can be. I, I, it's so perfect. The characters you meet in school, it grasps that so well. And that's just the anecdotal shit. That doesn't even get into the actual filmmaking stuff, but that's just a yeah, ground yeah. layer of stuff that I was bombarded with going, whoa, how did it do this? How did it manage to get all these elements so right? A uh, thing about it is, I, I think one thing that I would have feared about this is that uh, often when I see Ireland and Northern Ireland, uh, portrayed in in films i cringe because i hate the idea of trying to see somebody capitalizing on you know something you recognize and connect with firmly right i hate the idea i often if even if i hear an an irish or northern irish accent in in film or tv i will immediately switch off and i can't get past it in this I know it did a good job because it, it never once made me think, oh god, that's horrible, or oh god, they're capitalizing on something, you know, it just, it, it was out and out, just heartfelt, in the moment, right from the core, perfect encapsulation of that place and time. Oh, but uh, yeah, yeah, I want to see a little more about what you think, because I've gushed enough. <laughs> Well, I'm not, I'm not going to approach it, obviously, from the same perspective, because as you said, I mean, yeah. I really wanted to get you involved in, in how they set the movie up, because uh, we're never really privy to any of that. So most of the time when we're getting movies from overseas, uh, from different parts of the world, uh, there tends to be quite a lot of stereotypes that come with it. Yeah. And strangely enough, whenever I was watching this, I didn't feel like there was. No. There were archetypes certain types of characters that you would see uh, anywhere and like you said i mean you know that guy and it never gave you the impression that you were being uh kind of duped in any way yeah you actually felt like you could identify with certain characters or you knew someone like those characters and that was very important because they established that in the first 10 minutes of the movie absolutely which is great you talk about that opening scene that was the, the conversation at the table with the parents and then after that connor is introduced we never get a, a feel from what the old school is we just see him entering this world and we enter that world at the same time as him he is our guide for the first part of the story absolutely. and then when you're describing the fighting sequence that they have you know connor essentially sees uh barry for the first time the little redhead uh, bully that he's going to meet a little bit later in the movie you see him front and center he's staring directly at the camera and we see yeah, this pov right. shot through connor's eyes and then connor basically looks uh to the left and we see these two dudes just beating the shit out of each other <laughs> and then someone throws a rat a dead rat at at connor. connor yeah and you're like what the hell is this place and but what struck me the most 
about that scene, the opening scene, is that when Connor slightly raises his head and his gaze really shoots up towards the school, we see the priest in the window. Yeah, the headmaster. And the headmaster. The window itself really, really gives you a glimpse into the world that this person's going into. You have the outside world, which is used to be so big, this idea that his dreams were going to be kind of big. He could kind of see big. Yeah. And then seeing the priest through that small square window just shows you that he's embarking in this very narrow-minded world. Yeah, definitely. And I thought that those couple of shots really established, like, okay, we're in for something that's going to change this kid's life. Oh, yeah. His reactions are really going to help him burst out of that little small square space that they're trying to make him fit in. Absolutely. So I thought that, yeah, it's... I mean, like, visually, sort of geographically, he's just being compressed upon by all angles. You know, he's being stuffed into this little white box. uh, And the box has holes, but those holes are full of leering, creepy bastards. (laughs) Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, Well, in terms of the the criticism, I thought that, um, well, this is going to be a very positive review. I don't have anything negative to say about the movie, as I said earlier. Um, I, I like Connor's story, but the person that I enjoyed the most has to be Brendan, the older brother. Absolutely. That character that Jack Rayner plays, oh my god, I fell in love. I want to see that guy in all of my movies now. (laughs) He was that good. What a breakout performance. I really want to see that guy in everything. Incredible. He was phenomenal. Incredible, man. Yeah, and he plays this this mentor figure, right? This Obi-Wan or Gandalf type figure. It is. That's weird. You you make a comparison. Like those are like great archetypal mentors, you know, like these guys that are like larger than life you immediately know that this guy is he's just not a, he's not in the same world that connor's going through he's he's either been through it and out the other side and that's kind of something that makes like gandalf so interesting is you know he knows the world they're all walking around you know he's been there before right brennan is is exactly like that he's just he's seen it all already and now he's just looking back at it commenting as best he can even with the kind of bitterness that he carries you know that he kind of bites it down and channels it into positive uh advice it's, it's incredible he's exactly like what a, an older brother kind of aspires to be it's, it's a perfect character yeah and i think that it, it's great because you have that character that you can latch on to because he's in direct opposition with the headmaster yeah. throughout the entire movie these are the two institutions in which connor will be in and he's caught in the middle He's caught in the middle of the headmaster that's trying to inculcate this type of very violent approach to teaching. There's a lot of beating going on. It's more about the the sense of being indoctrinated, whether you want to or not. There you go. Exactly. Which is completely in opposition with the way Brendan approaches his brother, who is a person that's going to uh, dish out information in a way that Connor can understand by slowly feeding him. You know, this idea of of a nurturing relationship that's going to allow Connor to blossom into a fully-fledged man as opposed to just keeping him down by kicking him down and trying to indoctrinate him with all these ways of looking at the world. So it was very interesting to see that dynamic of having that good mentor versus that bad mentor. Uh, you know the, these yeah. these two opposing forces that are in it's, the middle. It's of the very it's very archetypal: good versus evil. Oh, you know, yeah. and it's not played like that though. You know, it's not played no, like no. the the schoolmaster. He isn't inherently evil. He's just wrong. You know, he's just wrong about the way he's doing things. Would you say it would be wrong or 
uh, let me posit something a little bit different. Uh, Aiden Gillen's character, the father, seems to be a little bit more of the traditional type. You know, he says it's not exactly the Beatles, so something a little bit more classical, which is in complete contrast, again, with Brendan, who's seemingly a brother, but more of a father figure as well to Connor. But if we take that, could we say that the priest is a little bit more, we'll say, traditional or classic in the way that he approaches things, classic for the time, whereas Brendan is more this guy, like, Connor says he wants to be a futurist, but seeing as that his brother, as we learn throughout the movie, has paved the way for Connor, couldn't he just be a little bit more ahead, a little bit more in the future and less classical, or less traditional, as opposed to right versus wrong? Because you're absolutely right, and you're absolutely right, and specifically in that this is just the next step. But as we're watching this now, you know, 30 years on from the 80s, you know, we already know that. Even that uh, concept of living the, the the creative lifestyle and dream doesn't really always pan out, you know? It's very much something that's applicable to these teenagers, but not necessarily in real life. It doesn't suit everyone's scenario. It's very romanticized, and that's a great thing that's about the story because it's so simple in structure. The romantic nature of it shines through that you don't really have to apply it directly to life. I mean, it does, it even has dream sequences and so on, you know, that really play up the idea that this is fantasy this is a fantasy take on this is an idealistic outlook much like futurism on the world you're living in you know the idea in futurism is that it's a positive sense of where you want to be at a certain point right after where you are you know uh, that sort of interpretation of it it's not always going to be right but it definitely is forward thinking and it and for their time they can only do so much Right. Forward thinking. They can't know all the answers. It's optimistic. Yeah, it's optimistic. Yeah, I think it's optimistic. And you, you talked about, you just mentioned this idea that sometimes these things don't work out. And, and I mean, the movie does, the film does uh, attack that a little bit in uh, Rafina, the, the girl that Connor wants to get, right? That's right. She wants to be a model. And then she decides to move to London uh, to do that, uh, breaking Connor's heart in the process. And she comes back. And it's kind of funny because you see a very stripped down version of Rufina because when you see, when you're introduced to her for the first time, I mean, even as an audience goer, you're like, wow, there's a certain mysticism that comes with her. You're like, wow, there's an aura around this person. She wears the makeup, her hair is all fixed up. She seems to exude this sort of confidence you know, mm-hmm. that that's very attractive. And you understand immediately why Connor would be drawn to this type of person. But when she comes back from London, she is, she looks 16. She no longer looks like the 18 or 19 year old. She looks 16. She has no makeup. She's wearing this big puffy sweater as opposed to a little jean jacket or a little, little leather jacket that she was wearing. It's as though that like all of her confidence has been stripped away. And that's the moment where she's the most vulnerable, but she's also at at the meanest she is because that's one of the only times that she's very condescending to Connor and yeah. saying that now she's going to work at McDonald's and just hang around with this 15-year-old schoolboy. And you're like, well, shit, he's, he's been pouring his heart out to you this entire time. Just because your dream didn't come true doesn't mean that you can't support him and his. Yeah. Right? And so... I thought that that was fun that Carney decided to not be overly optimistic and show a little bit of the both sides of the story of, of the idea that, yes, you, if you do put in hard work and if you do believe in yourself, it might happen. But the other side is 
don't necessarily give up. If it doesn't, there are people around yeah. you that also mean something and you can invest in those people, not for selfish reasons, but in order to kind of, I don't know, get a certain satisfaction in being able to help that person achieve their dream. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It, it's a grounded approach to optimism. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't pretend to give all the answers. It doesn't pretend to tell you this is what's going to happen. You put your heart and soul into something, you're going you're gonna to get what you want. The optimistic element is there, but we're not given. We're not just told how it's going to work out. And that's, <laughs> that's a great sense of the, the, the sincerity of that sort of era. Cause if anything, it's, it's, it's a film that tries to capture just the, 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 the splendorous naivety of, um, adolescence. And, uh, yeah. How better can you do it than just hoping the world for yourself, you know, and for the others around you and aiding each other, you know, to this, to this sort of destination that, you know, you don't know if it's going to be good or bad, but you know, if you, you know, pour everything into it, maybe it will work out better than nothing, you know, it's better than just yeah, giving exactly. up and doing what you're told. And that's true because going on with that, it has a little bit of a fairy tale quality to it. Absolutely. Right. This idea that uh, some of your dreams may come true, you know, going back to this idea of Cinderella, it seems like a little bit of a Cinderella story, right? This yeah, idea yeah, of, yeah. We were talking about it earlier and we were saying, uh, actually, well, this was before the recording, but you had mentioned to me that you thought it was a, a coming of age story. Yeah, oh, absolutely. So I agree with you. It definitely is. It definitely is. And not for just one character. That's the interesting part. Yeah. Uh, I did a bit of research and, uh, you know, we were, I was looking up, uh, I remember reading when I was in, in college and university, this idea of Christopher Booker's uh, seven basic plots. Mm -hmm. And I'll name them for you. And then we could actually kind of piece together which ones actually fit with that as with the coming of age story. Definitely. So the first one of Booker's seven basic plots, overcoming the monster. Number two would be rags to riches. Number three would be the quest. Number four is The Voyage and Return. Number five is Comedy. Number six is Tragedy. And number seven is Rebirth. And interestingly enough, in Sing Street, we can make a case that Carney, as a writer-director, kind of is able to make all seven work in Absolutely. one simple story. How more uh, idealistic, how more romantic can you be about filmmaking than to try to capture every story in some way or make a story that takes all the story boxes that's just, it's just fun you know it's just a cool idea <laughs> yeah definitely and it's extremely rare as well because that means walking into this movie you know it's essentially a feel-good movie walking into this movie there's something for everyone to extract mm -hmm. and that's amazing to me that's i think that's why I, I was affected by it so much is because i i i need a little bit more now because i've seen so many movies that just sitting down to watch something basic sometimes I get a little bit annoyed because I know where it's going. With Sing yeah. Street, I knew where it was going, but I was constantly being fed different parts that seem to want to nourish a lot of what I'm expecting from a story. Yeah, And it was yeah. very, very fun because I felt like I was served on every one of those angles that I'm actually looking for. So ticking the boxes, definitely 100%. I agree with you. Definitely. I mean, again, it's it's something... Um, often these kind of feel-good films can come across very hollow, you know, in that um, they carry a lot of pretense of the idea that they have something intentionally good to say about 
you know, adolescence or, you know, self-thought and self-improvement and so on. They'll, they'll be like, yeah, you could do it. They'll, they'll be that message and that's fine. But ultimately they, they lack, uh, usually a soul. And I suppose the best way to describe that is if, if you're going to make a creative piece to back up your, your feel good nature, it has to be creative. <laughs> you know, yeah, <laughs> you can't, yeah, yeah. Uh, sure, there's, there's a reductionist argument that, you know, if you're really gonna put down every story into seven points, then yeah, sure. I doubt Carney really sat down and tried to work out how to tell a story that ticked all the boxes. It's just a fun coincidence. But, yeah. You know, he also, it, it seemed more that he wanted to tell a story that people could connect with, mm-hmm. but he, he didn't want to do it in a way that felt like he was taking that story from somewhere and just selling it, you know, he wasn't doing a commercialized version of it. He just wanted to tell the story. Oh, yeah, I agree. And I mean, like you said, I don't think that he sat down with all these basic plots uh, in mind. I do think, however, that there's a certain aspect of wish fulfillment on his part that he wanted to include in the movie. Because the way that Connor develops as an individual is that he does everything that 99% of us would never do. He talks to the girl, he starts a band to prove himself, and he actually does it. He just goes out and does it. Most people would never do that. And I'm positive that there must be somewhere that Carney sat down and and said, these are a couple of the things I wish I had the balls to do when I was a kid. And now I'm in a position to put it in a movie. And I'm going to damn well do it. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. And, but at the same time, he shows you the, um, the downsides to that. You know, you can't, you can't go into school wearing makeup. Somebody will pick on you. Somebody will beat you up. Your teacher will tell you to wipe it off. You know, people will challenge you if you yeah. want to live these idealized versions of yourself. If you want to be the fucking, the dream version of you, you're going to be challenged on it, you know? And that's interesting, you know, cause it's, it's not pretending that the world stops being a real place just because you're a dreamer, you know? You gotta kind of find a balance. No, you're you're right, yeah. Uh, and that's incredibly useful. Yeah, I, I think as as a message, and not one that comes across like you're being told that, but one that if you read it, you kind of think about it. There's nobody. There's not a moment where we got sit down and told, but it's all you know, it's all a fantasy. <laughs> you know, there's not. It doesn't patronize. No, definitely not. No, definitely not. You're right. You're absolutely right. And I I think it's fun that you brought like Brendan back, his brother, because, I mean, here we're talking about how, you know, Connor develops as an individual throughout the movie. And it's all this quest, the the quest that we were talking about earlier in in the the seven basic plot points. The quest is for Connor to find an individual identity. And it's kind of interesting that when he's going throughout the movie, going out through his physical changes as well as his, his, um, we'll say, emotional changes, he tends to see his brother in a different Mm -hmm. way. And I thought it was funny because at the beginning of the movie, he sees him as an instructor, a person he's a little bit intimidated by him. He doesn't necessarily know how to handle it. Is his brother nuts because he's a dropout or should he pay attention to him because of the music? But then when Connor actually starts making music, the first person who listens to it is mm-hmm. his brother who tells him it's junk, but he has to keep doing it because there's something yeah. there. There's something good. And if we fast forward in the movie just a little bit at the about the an hour and 10 minute mark where the drive it like you stole it sequence is a flat out music yeah. video. Oh, that's great. <laughs> in a gym high school yeah, that is a direct tribute, I'd say, almost to Back to the Future, which is named Absolutely. directly by Connor. It's funny because during that sequence, 
we get a glimpse as to where he is in his development and we get it through how he views his brother who comes in to rescue his girlfriend connor's girlfriend that is yeah yeah mm-hmm. and he sees him as a a james dean type character dressed in that red jacket and the blue jeans carrying the knife and so it's this rebel without a cause but as an older viewer I see Brendan as a guy who has a cause, but Connor isn't there yet. Yeah, yeah. He still sees him as this guy that's going to be supportive. There's even the knife sequence that kind of harkens back a little bit to the knife sequence in Rebel Without a Cause when James Dean's character just enters the city. Um, And also, I... I don't know. I'll go on a limb here and maybe say that there's a little bit of Michael Jackson's beat it involved. <laughs> little bit. <laughs> he scuffs him you know, and tosses I, I, him aside. I, I, oh, yeah, that's good. But um, by the end of the movie, it, he no longer sees Brendan that way. He sees him as this mentor, as this person. And it's all because of the speech that Brendan gives mm-hmm. him where – Connor is upset because his parents are getting divorced and he's upset not because his parents are getting divorced, but because they can't come see his concert, his gig, he calls it. And then his brother, Brendan, sits down in front of him and says, listen, you little shit. They don't care about what you're doing. And to tell you the truth, I don't care either because I love you. But the reason why you're succeeding right now is because of me, because I was there for six years before you listening to them going through all their changes and I had to shield you from all of this. He says that he created this machete road so that Connor could walk through it unscathed. And so how dare he just kind of be all selfish about this. And I thought that was glorious because even in the end of the movie, spoiler alert, but at the same time, it's not really a spoiler. It's a visual metaphor that I think is beautiful. When Connor decides to leave with Rafina, they take a boat and they're going to travel to London. Brendan leaves the house for the first time in I don't know how long because he's just basically a hermit. He's essentially the princess trapped in the tower. And then eventually because, you know, Connor decides to free him or free himself and in freeing himself, he frees frees his brother Mm -hmm. from the protection, you know, from his his protective role. Connor and Rafina are on, uh, on the ocean and they're headed towards London and it's kind of funny because it starts to rain and this is the first time that Connor does not have Brendan with him as a guide. Mm-hmm. But sure enough, out of divine intervention, there's this huge ship that comes that literally starts basically mowing uh, uh, um, oh, uh, these, yeah, these waves it makes a wake. in direction towards it London. makes a wake. Yeah. And, uh, leaves a wake. It makes a wake. Uh, with which to follow a clear the passage. Exactly. So separating the ocean in two, essentially the same way that Connor describes that he he macheted a path, you have this idea that Connor is still with him. uh, Sorry, that Brendan macheted a path. You have this idea that Brendan is that big boat, again, showing him the way to London in this divine intervention of the boat. So I thought that was really interesting that Carney had decided to cash in on that visual metaphor at the end. It's a gorgeous and beautiful image. And I, I just want to take a moment to just appreciate great imagery one that feels like it could take the cue of any great blockbuster this is a small film and the idea that it mm-hmm. it, it it uses very simple very clever thematic ideas to just enrich its own story i i just i i find it hard to process critically this film because it's it's sheer overwhelming charm feels like you're kind of you're you're breaking down something pure 
you know, <laughs> um, it's kind of like the antithesis to what I felt about a film like uh, The Little Prince when I watched it, in that I felt that um, okay, I felt that it's clear cleverness in protecting itself from criticism with its um, message that adults only make of things what they can use is 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 one of the messages of of the little prince and therefore the the creative mindset of children is is pure and wonderful and that sort of juxtaposition carries a lot of the story but you can't criticize it as an adult because it says well you know you can't criticize me if you're an adult because you're just playing into the fact that we called it you're you're trying to make sense of it all you know and uh, that cleverness i find off-putting it feels a bit cheap to defend yourself that way, or defend to defend your story and your your creative work that way, and that you have to sort of rely on a technicality. Right. I don't feel Sing Street does this. It, it 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 with pure, you know, sincerity in telling its its imagery and story. It it it's relentlessly, uh, you know, it 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 refuses to sort of acknowledge itself. It just keeps going. Yeah. It doesn't it doesn't look back. It doesn't overanalyze. It doesn't overcriticize. It doesn't appear to be self aware. And that feels like it's impervious to real critical debate in a certain sense. Oh, yeah. But for the right reason, you know. You can't fault simplicity if it intends to be simple, you know. And Oh, yeah. I agree. I mean, it has all the makings of a classic in my opinion. I guess that's why it ties in with the seven overarching types of stories, you know. Like, the simple ideas... Uh, uh, before we get to the music, because we have to talk about oh, the yes, music, of course. people are going to get angry. If, so if we don't talk yeah, about Sing the music, Street, featuring all the storytelling. <laughs> exactly. It's just we're not, we're not going to talk about the music at all. There's one little thing that I thought was interesting about the movie that I want to talk about in terms of themes again. Uh, I mean, Barry the, the bully is obviously a product of his environment, which is kind of fun. Uh, to see not him i mean not, <laughs> not his story his story is not a fun one because you know he's basically uh, a beaten child at home his parents are assholes they're mentioned as drug addicts and things like that and i just kind of think it's funny that because he's the product uh, of his environment it actually goes back to one of those uh, basic plots that we were talking about earlier where he be- he overcomes a monster of his own which is his parents and he's choosing to be violent but for good and becoming a roadie with the, with the, the, band. the band which is kind of funny because he was a negative influence a negative violence and i didn't think wow look at that he's still violent but he's doing it for good which is kind of it's kind of fun to, to be able to overturn that the sheer optimism of this film it, it's undebatable oh, yeah. <laughs> they win out the bully it's that's wish fulfillment what you were saying about wish fulfillment that's exactly it, you yeah. know. In my better world view, Carney was probably saying to himself, I convinced that guy to be our roadie, you know. We started hanging out, you know. He finally got it. Oh, it's, yeah. it's the dream scenario. <laughs> when when did the, the, uh, the Back to the Future dance scene stop, is what it makes you ask. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. And it's funny, there's one qualm I had with the movie when I watched it the first time, but then after that, I kind of tricked myself into believing it was a conscious choice on the director's part. Sure. And uh, it's the um, the role of Anne, the sister. The sister who we barely see. The sister yeah. that's mm-hmm. studying to become an architect. I thought it was a little bit cheap to leave her out of the movie that much. I was mm-hmm. like, geez, we're really focusing on the idea of brothers and all that, but why the hell would you include her in the movie at all if you're going to barely use her? However, I did after watching it for the third time come up with my own theory as to why she's there and i'm going to share it with you and correct me if i'm wrong on this okay interesting and she studies architecture 
And she's sort of pushed to the side and frowned upon because she believes in her education. You know, like her Mm -hmm. older brother, Brendan, is like, ah, that's not a vocation. It's bullshit. You're not supposed to be doing that. But I think that in her studying architecture, you know, at the beginning of the movie, she's actually sitting with her father at the table. And then you have the two sons, the two brothers that are sitting on the couch and the mother sitting on a chair, which is kind of in between them. She still has dreams, which is why she's getting divorced. She falls in love with another man. So she sees outside the familial structure. And so the idea that architecture has a structure representing familial structure. So the idea that she upholds the familial structure at the beginning of the movie by sitting at the table with her father, but then slightly forsakes it by smoking and listening to movies with her brother in the room upstairs kind of shows a shift on her part, which I don't think necessitated any more development. Mm-hmm. Could that be possible? Uh, oh yeah, definitely. I, that's an interesting, I mean, I, I love theories like that where, you know, it doesn't really sh- change the shape of the film, but it's definitely fun no, not at to all. think about. I, uh, I, I agree. I, I think it's a, a, a very interesting way to read it. I, I doubt at all that it was intended that way. I I like to, okay. I just, in a more simple, I have thought about how little her role was in the film, and I did feel like that was sort of cheated from her, that that was, even if it wasn't the point of the story to tell, uh, right. you know, I have a sister angle in it, that we should have had that. But I always did see her as as a sort of uh, intermediary where she would um, she would represent the the people in the lives of these people who could survive and live whatever life they wanted, even if they didn't follow that creative path that was being told in the story. That it was a, it was a sign that she thought things were bullshit, just like everybody else. But she was putting her head down and fucking getting on with it. And it it she was there she oh, was there not yeah. to be a character as much as a food for thought alternative. That you know what there is a world here, and in this world there are people living a different way and getting on just fine no matter what. You don't have to be Connor. You don't have to be Brendan. You could be Anne. You know she gets on fine. She, sure, it's still shit, but it she can survive just like anybody else. She just does it her way, and that's how I chose to read right. it. Right, okay. No, and that, that's fair enough. I really appreciate that. I think that that works, too. I mean, it's not... Uh, I, like I said, I was just finding a way to convince myself <laughs> yeah, that yeah. there wasn't anything wrong with the movie. So I was like, well, yeah, I'm just going to yeah. break out my little theories. Because- I know. It, 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 you feel you feel bad for trying to... Like, oh, no, no. It's not your fault, Sing Street. It's exactly. mine. I, I just did, didn't exactly. get you. Because <laughs> I didn't see anything wrong with the movie. So I was like, well, there clearly isn't anything wrong with the movie. That means I'm not seeing Anne the right way. So I'll give a little bit more time to Anne because the movie didn't. <laughs> well, it does right. It does really right. And that's what's important. Oh, yeah. It does a lot of things right. And speaking of things that they do right... The music. Music. How, oh my god. How did music. you find the music? Before I even just gush on how perfectly catchy and wonderful the original music and its connection with the not original right. music. I just want to I want to I'd want to dot that the word that kept ringing in my head throughout this notion of the film is uh romantic, you know. It was it was just a romanticized wonderful dreamscape of a film. Mm-hmm. And that the the start off era of music that uh, Connor gets into is new romantic, and uh, does that connection? I didn't realize it when I first watched, when I watched it. They don't really right. say it. I didn't realize it, but when I thought about it for a bit, I was like, "Oh, I'm such a fucking idiot." <laughs> obviously, obviously, the fucking new romantics are a huge part of mm-hmm. this. Uh, I love just that the idea that somebody put some actual thought into this. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, but my god, that, that's original music. I, I mean, it could be gimmicky. I, it could feel like it's forced into the script at times if because they, they have callbacks, like drive it like you stole it. The song that they write is based off a of thing Brandon says beforehand. Yeah. And riddle, riddle of the model again. These are things that, uh, they're just above cringy level to me because they sound exactly like the things a teenager would write, you know, that they think is cool mm-hmm. or they think is, is interesting. But that makes it all the more real to me. Yeah. I, 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 from personal experience, I wrote a pile of shit songs with titles exactly like those, and it connected with me so immediately. I was just like, oh, oh, he's an asshole. He's an asshole. To save that, they just made better songs than any fucking local band I've ever heard. But I mean, <laughs> oh yeah, I, I fucking, I, I just adored the music. I loved it. I loved it so much. I thought it was fun. I, I, I am not a fan of eighties music. But for some reason, oh, no. John Carney, John <laughs> Carney seems to have chosen every song that I thought was acceptable from that time. And so, yeah. but even the songs that these kids were writing, I mean, they're still in my head. I think they're fun. I mean, oh, absolutely. Even Riddle of the Model, like you said, could come out today and wouldn't feel out of place. I mean, if we look back, maybe just ten years when the Arctic Monkeys came out from the UK, they kind of sounded a little like that. You know, and so I was kind yeah. of impressed by by how catchy and how fun these songs were. Riddle of the Model was mm-hmm. great. Up was great. Uh, I mean, uh, Drive It Like You Stole It obviously is the the standout in my opinion. It's a, I was, it's a steal. Like, uh, yeah, it was. That's a beautiful song, man. It's like an anthem song. It's it's too good for film. Uh, you, you, <laughs> you just put your finger on it. The anthem song. I love the fact that you brought that up because that's exactly what it is. Mm. And I love how the movie book ends with the song "Brown Shoes." The idea that that was oh, the yeah. source of where all of the angst started. I thought it was yeah. really interesting that it bookends with him talking about those brown shoes again. But we have that arc, that arc of Connor that starts and ends with the brown shoes. Yeah. So it's kind of funny because when we're looking at the the seven plots we were talking about earlier that is the voyage and the return and it all starts with the shoes yeah definitely definitely i mean it, and it does it kind of shouts at the sort of cyclic nature of it all you know like uh teenage angst begets teenage angst you're, you're gonna it only self-perpetuates it doesn't really it, it ends at another point uh Mm-hmm. later on in life you you inevitably forgive and forget your own your own misgivings and so on i i love that that theme of the brown shoes it shows that even with this journey connor's not really he's he's not re- reached a destination and in this film he never does you know this is just a, a small couple of chapters in a much bigger story and the the fact that the brown shoes never really leave the frame of you know the sort of reference for connor's character development that just tells yeah. us that, in perspective, it might seem like he's come a long way, but realistically, he's still a kid. He's still a kid, and he's still yep. mad about the day his teacher made him fucking take his shoes off. And that's that's wonderful. Exactly. It's the yep. pettiness of exactly. it all. I love it. <laughs> yeah. It was wonderful. It was really wonderful. So I think, anyway, I think that would bring me to my final verdict. Yeah, go I for it. I don't know how you feel about it. Um, I mentioned to you that I was going to give it a 4.5 on 5 at the beginning of the show based on the fact that I wasn't much of a fan of the cinematography. Although there are really interesting transitions in the movie, like at the 38-minute mark during the song Up, mm-hmm. uh, you see um, Eamon uh, writing a song with uh, Connor 
And then after that, the camera just starts moving around the room and there's a transition that happens where you actually see the entire band playing where it actually started with two and then all six of the members are there. And I thought, wow, what an interesting transition to do. I mean, as a guy who understands movies, I know where he cut, but it's still really well done. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was glorious at how he, he was able to do it. Absolutely. However, I'm going to bump that up. I'm going to bump my score up to a five on five. I'm not going to penalize it because as you said before, and this is what convinced me is when you were talking about the fact that um, the cinematography, the way that it was done, the way that it was shot, all the fact that he was able to subtly incorporate visual metaphors and, and, and do it in a way that seemed quite seamless mm-hmm. without calling attention to it, then I guess there is a certain type of... of, uh, of um, like craft. Yeah, craft. Masterful craft that came about it. And so I'm going to put it even keel with Midnight Special. I will obviously prefer Midnight Special because more my type of they movie. They are However, I can't very different a, types of yeah. movies, you know. So, I mean, subjectively, yeah. one might call to you stronger than another. But that's exactly. a good way of Midnight looking Special at it. Midnight Special is more that. Yeah. However, I have to give Sing Street a five on five, which is to me a modern. This is a classic. Absolutely. This has everything that makes a movie classic. I can't recommend this movie enough. My daughters are going to be coming back from their mothers tomorrow. I am putting this on for them this weekend so that they can get a glimpse of what it is to dream and dream big and not be afraid of it. I loved this movie. Please watch it. It needs all the attention it can get. It deserves your money. It's still cheap on iTunes right now for 10 bucks. Shell out the cash, people. This deserves it. Five on five. I loved Sing Street. Absolutely. Going on on the scale that I work on, which is in a letter grade sort of system, uh, I've already reviewed it on on big picture reviews. And I'm not going to divvy any further. Uh, It's an A plus for me, man. I just... I absolutely loved every bit of this film. I, I it, as you said, it's a complete modern classic. That's uh, screamed in my head. There's not going to be a year that goes by that I'm not going to think, you know what? I'm not in the mood to watch Sing Street. You know, there's going to be a time that I'm just going to go. I, it's a chill day. It's a nice weekend. You know what I'm in the mood for? Something uplifting. I'm going to watch fucking Sing Street. <laughs> it's funny. It's smart in an understated way. It's optimistic. It's yep. well intentioned. It's well made. It's well acted, and it's it's just encapsulates a lot of just sheer optimistic vibes that, in the hands of a lesser director, the hands of a more corrupt sort of um, studio, could have been really badly uh, misinterpreted as a, a sort yep. of very manipulative story about a kid that just gets all he wants. This. Was a was a balancing act of a film, and it's it, it's a real tight rope walk, and they really pull it off. I loved every minute of it. And that's it. A plus. <laughs> Excellent. And so that's it. I guess that's going to close out the show for today. And instead of actually giving you guys our regular track for Atlantic Screen Connection, I am going to leave you guys with "Drive It Like You Stole It." Oh so yeah. Enjoy this. Go get the movie and enjoy the rest of the track. This is going to be us signing off for this week. Uh, we're going to see you next week. Yeah, see you next week. You can find me at Film Faculty. Hit me up on Twitter, and you can find me at bigpicturereviews.co.uk 
on, the, on Twitter at Big Pick Reviews. Yeah, and we're looking forward to discussing with you guys. Tell us what you guys thought about Sing Street. Uh, as we said, we loved it, and we're looking forward to hearing what you guys have Absolutely. to say. Leave comments on all of our stuff. We've got a Jason Bourne review up right now. We've got Suicide Squad review up right now. We also have a Hail Caesar review up right now. We're really looking forward to talking with you guys. You can find us online. That's, That's mostly where we, where we are. We love you very much. Thank you for listening. Lee, any last thoughts? Just fucking drive it like you stole it, man. Drive it like you stole it. Play this fucking track. Yeah. See ya. Take care, people. See you next week. Bye-bye.
This conversation can serve no purpose anymore. Goodbye.